You're listening to Let's Talk Creation, the science podcast that's just for you with Paul Gardner and Todd Wood. Well, welcome back, everybody, to episode three of our new podcast, Let's Talk Creation, with me, Paul Garner. And me, Todd Wood. That's great. And it's good to be back with you again. Yeah. And uh, this episode, uh, we're going to do something that may be um, perhaps a bit more challenging for some of our listeners, uh, because we want to dig into uh, some of the scientific questions, and in particular, think about the methodology that we use to try and answer some of the really hard scientific questions that confront us as young earth creationists. So, you know, if you find this a little bit harder to follow than perhaps the first two episodes, hang in there. Um, you, you, you won't find every episode perhaps quite as uh, challenging as this one. Uh, and we're going to try and do our best, you know, to, to, to uh, bring it down to a level that everybody can understand. But it's important that we, we think about... Um, methodological questions and um you know we we face lots of uh, scientific challenges as young earth creationists and we want to know how do we go about solving some of those challenges and the approach that um that we both like is something that we call model building we uh, are interested in building scientific models and so i guess we should begin there and uh say something about what a scientific model is yeah todd do you want to talk us through that yeah let me uh, give you a real quick rundown here so most of you probably can remember back to your learning about science in in school primary school or high school or whatever and you learned uh that science starts out with observations you then formulate a hypothesis. You test the hypothesis with experiments and more observations. And then it becomes a theory if it, if it holds true. And then after you, you know, rigorously testing the theory, it'll become a law. Uh, and the, the sort of end product of science then is, is knowledge. It is, and, and that's the Latin, scientia, that's what it means. It means knowledge. And so science is after truth. And we do it through this process of repeated observations that lead to more and more confidence in, in, in our, our assumptions and then to truth. That is not really how science works, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, I, and it's strange to me that it has lasted so long and that everybody seems to know this, 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 this process of the scientific method. Because it's not generally how science works. There's sort of, I guess, I like to think of it as sort of two kind of levels of science. There's sort of the high-level science uh, that is model building. But there's the, then there's the low-level science where you sort of try to take ideas and apply them and test them. And that's where you sort of get this caricature of the, of the, um, the scientific method. But a model... Is, is different from that. A model is sort of looking across big parts of science, big stuff, and trying to propose a way to explain a lot of information. A great example here that I think we can follow fairly consistently is, is the way 
that in the early modern period, we went from thinking that the Earth was the center of the cosmos, or close to it, and that everything revolved around it, to our modern conception of the universe where the Earth is a planet, like the other planets, in orbit around the Sun. So the idea of planets orbiting the Sun and the Earth orbiting the Sun was fairly old. Um, it was really sort of given new life by uh, Copernicus uh, in 1543, a book where he basically said this might explain certain pieces of data. And some of that was one of the observations that people had always made is that Venus and Mercury always appear in the sky very close to the sun, which was an odd thing if you thought that Venus and Mercury were orbiting the Earth. Why would it be? Why would it have to be always close to the sun? And Copernicus said, well, if they're planets orbiting the sun, then that would explain why you always see them close to the sun. And then later, we, but, but the mathematics of Copernicus' model were just as complicated as everybody else's mathematics. <clears throat> and it wasn't until uh, the early 17th century that uh, Kepler came along and said, you know, the orbits of the planets are actually not perfectly circular. They're, they're slightly off-circular. They're elliptical. And this was pretty revolutionary at the time. And, and people began to, their math was much better. And so the model that they had, this mathematical description of how the, the heavens moved, became improved because they realized orbits are circular, orbits are elliptical. And then comes along uh, Isaac Newton, who has this idea of gravity, uh, and gravity then can suddenly explain why there are elliptical mo orbits, how the planets stay up there in orbit, how the Earth stays in orbit. Uh, and most surprisingly of all was uh, that he gave an account of why there are, are tides, which is something no one ever really thought about. Why would why would tides be connected to the motion of the the, the heavens? But it turns out the moon's the moon has a gravitational pull that pulls on water, and so it it makes the tides. And so suddenly, suddenly people realized that this model of the universe, which put the sun in the middle and put the rest of the planets, including the Earth, in orbit around it, this was more powerful. And so you have this gradual improvement, step by step, as the model gets more and more uh, precise and more and more capable of explaining uh, what we observe in the cosmos. And of course, later then we get Einstein coming along and fixing some of the issues that, that Newton had, uh, but that's way complex. We don't need to talk about that. But yeah, so the idea there is that you're not just proposing one little hypothesis to explain some observation that you see, and that hypothesis comes out of nowhere. You're creating an explanation for basically everything that you observe in the night sky, right? Why are these things the way they are? Why do they do what they do? Uh, and that's what a model is all about. It's much bigger, and consequently, it you argue for a model differently, and you argue against a model differently than you would argue against, say, a particular medical diagnosis. You know, 
does this person have is this person having a stroke or is this person having a heart attack there could be an argument about that and different ways of treating of course um, but but the idea that the heart pumps blood or that the brain has blood vessels in it that's that's sort of the model level stuff that no doctor would argue about because that's silly it's the same kind of thing here with the, with the motion of the cosmos so the, the the way scientists actually think about things is vastly different than I think the way we're taught in school and it has super important consequences for how we then approach you know what if I think your model is wrong and how do I mm. how do I address that mm. so models are these kind of conceptual representations of very big and complex systems precisely um now, one of the advantages, I think, of models, um, as, as you've pointed out, is that they help, they help to explain lots of sort of disparate bits of information in a, in a single conceptual framework. But they also help the scientific process, don't they, in that um, we, we can make predictions from models. So, you know, we can say, look, if this model is correct, uh, then I should be able to go out and do this experiment or I should be able to go out and make this observation and this is what the data should look like. And that's really powerful because it gives us a means to then test our models. Right. Does it mean, Todd, that if we go out and test a model and we find a piece of data that doesn't fit our model, that we just throw the model out. Do we go? You know, <laughs> clearly my model is totally wrong, no. and you know I'm just going to dump my model. No, no one, no one does that. No one ever does yeah. that. So, the arguments about the, the the structure of the cosmos went on for a long time. There were advocates for the traditional view among among the authors and scholars of the 17th century, as well as the new sort of Copernican heliocentric idea, the idea that the sun is in the middle of the cosmos. Um, and they all had, and, and some of it, some of it arose just from the fact that there wasn't enough information. They just didn't know enough. And so the data could be interpreted in different ways. And so people were sort of left to a lot of other factors and persuasion. But yeah, if there were, and, and the same is true with Newton, right? So Newton had trouble explaining the orbital motion of Mercury, the details of the orbital motion of Mercury. And it wasn't until Einstein came along that we figured out what was going on uh, with his model of how gravity worked. Um, but that didn't, that didn't stop anybody from saying, yeah, Newton's got it right. Even, you know, there must be something funny with Mercury. We don't know what, but... but for the for the majority of the data, Newton's Newton's got it right. So no, no, you 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 see you see inconsistent data all the time. Maybe maybe it's fatal. Maybe it's not fatal. Yeah. So so models are really helpful in science because they kind of guide our research in in helpful directions. They provide a kind of framework within which we make observations and interpret data. But they're also really malleable things. You know, they, they change and we can modify them and we can make little tweaks here and there and adjustments. So actually models are quite hard to displace. 
Yes. Because you can always you can always adapt your your model. Because what you're trying to do really is just approximate reality. I mean, yes. That's, that's yeah. really what you're trying to do. You're you're looking at reality and saying, I, I want to understand this system. I want to understand what's going on. And so, um, you know, you joked last time about bringing in a model airplane. Um, <laughs> yeah. This time, but actually, a model airplane. I mean, that's a simple representation Absolutely. of a real life object, and and, and, and the, know, the good ones can fly, right? And the good ones can fly. <laughs> Put so, a little engine know, like, in there. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the reality, but it's f- from it's, a scientific perspective, it's good enough. Yeah. It's you know, it's a uh, it's a symbol. It's a yeah. It's a thing you can tinker with and say, well, if this is true, what is this? And 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 so it gives us stuff yeah. to do. Yeah. Now, conventional scientists obviously develop models but creationists are also interested in developing models and i guess some people might have this question in their mind what why would we do that you know why would uh christians why would young earth creationists invest time because it it takes a lot of time and hard work and and money yeah uh, you know, why would we invest in building models? Isn't it presumptuous of oh, us yeah. to try and develop models, um, to try to understand what God, you know, God's works in nature? Is that pr- somehow presumptuous? Um, and also another question I guess that people might have is why do that when we can just attack evolution? You know, we can just kind of go out and show that evolution is not, not true, not right? right? So. Yeah. What, why would we want to build our own models? Right. And I've heard all of those kinds of questions before, uh, especially sort of in our modern climate, especially maybe here in America, where people people are kind of angry at scientists, <laughs> <laughs> and and they're angry at lockdowns, and they're angry at climate change, and they don't want to hear about these stories that scientists make up. Um, so why in the world would a Christian want to do that why would we mm. want to you know pretend like we know more than god and say what's going to happen in the future or, or pretend like we know how the universe works or how whatever works and, uh, yeah those are important questions and i think one of one of my one of the answers that i would give to that is is there's an inherent call to this in the very notion of being God's representatives as his image and his stewards of this creation. Uh, it's, it's really hard um, to be a good steward, a good caretaker of something that you don't understand. Mm. Um, just try to watch me babysit a room full of three-year-olds. No idea how they work, what what is going on in your head? Why are you behaving in this fashion? Just sit down and be quiet. I I am helpless, right? I know nothing about these things, so I would be a terrible person to babysit to be a babysitter of of a room full of three year olds. You would not want to leave me in charge. Most likely, you would come back and I would be playing with them, and we would be having a rollicking good time, and I would not be caring for them very well at all. But uh, yeah, and so. If we're going to be good stewards of creation, we really need to know what it's about. And since that was sort of our original pre-fall role, I don't see that we've been that that's been alleviated. Uh, and 
even maybe you might argue, you know, creation has fallen and so we're just going to endure it until Jesus comes back. It's still the work of God, right? And it still is in our charge as those who have dominion, those who practice stewardship. And and God is in the business of renovation, right? He's, yes, yes. He's redeeming this cosmos. Yes. And we're partners with him yes. in redeeming the cosmos So, yes. in some sense. So, you know, we can participate in that grand project. Which is an amazing and exciting privilege mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do that. But also, I would say to those who are worried about the arrogance of the whole process, you are right. There are things where scientists get way too excited and wrapped up in their ideas about whatever. Uh, and we do, as Christians, need to be very careful and and humble. Say, you know, this is what we know. And I know there's much more that we don't know than what we actually know. Um, but I think that the answer is probably somewhere along this line over here. Uh, and be willing to be wrong. That's part and parcel of what science is. In the history of science over the past... 2,000 years, nearly everything has been wrong. (laughs) It's been discarded in some way uh, as new models and new ideas come forward. Uh, So you just have to be aware that you're you're not here to sort of solve it all. It's not your responsibility to figure it all out, nor is it your responsibility to, to make it, to, to advocate a particular answer to everything. You, we, uh, are merely steps. We are, we are steps in a process. We are cogs on a wheel, and we are participating with God. I think in in His activity here on the earth, and I think that when we do really good work in creationist model building, God is thrilled and excited. I mean, I would love it. I love it when my students figure things out on my tests and I'm able to answer hard questions delights me because yeah good you you figured that out I have to think God is delighted when we when we realize oh this 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 rock layer over here was not formed in this way it was formed in this way totally different uh, or something like that uh, one, I, of, I, one of my favorite um, verses in the Bible is Psalm 111 and verse 2 which says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Yeah. And, you know, th- we're called to do this, aren't we? Um, it's, it's the Westminster Catechism that talks about the chief end of man being to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Yes. And, you know, we're, we're called to um, delight in the works of God's hands. And one of the ways we can do that is by studying them scientifically. Because I think, you know, like, like me... You, you found that science, yes, it's, it can be lots of hard work, it can be frustrating at times, but it can also be enormous fun. You know, it, can, it can just be an absolute delight to be thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah. Um, and in fact, as we, as we kind of d- develop these scientific models, in, in effect, we're, we're kind of working out in practice the confidence that we say we have in God's word. Because it's not that we're doing this science because we want to prove that the bible's true but it's because we have confidence that the bible is true 
that we believe it's going to help to guide our research in in fruitful and productive yeah. directions yeah. i mean surely surely we 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 won't get it right all the time but if we take notice of what God's word says and, and factor in the things that he's revealed to us in our scientific thinking, that's got to be better than just ignoring God and leaving him out of the equation altogether. So, I, you know, I, I, model building is, is an expression, isn't it, of our, our confidence in, in the Bible? I think so, yeah. I, it, to me, that's exactly the kind of, you know, if, 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 if my understanding of Scripture is true, then, it, then that means that i should see this and this and this mm. and when someone tells me categorically there's absolutely no evidence for that and it's sort of a conversation ender and i think well mm-hmm. how do you know <laughs> yeah. what evidence have you looked at and and it makes me want to go dig into it myself and find out what what's the deal here <laughs> You've been listening to Todd and Paul Talk Creation. If you'd like more information about any of the subjects discussed in the show, please visit us at coresci.org slash podcast. That's coresci.org slash podcast. Do you have questions regarding the young age creation as a model? Well, we've got you covered with a book by podcast own Paul Garner. His book, The New Creationism, was dubbed the single best book on creation and the flood by filmmakers of Is Genesis History. If you don't already have a copy, be sure to check it out on Amazon today. Now, let's get back to the podcast. So that's that's all very helpful. Um, I, I guess uh, to, to make this a bit less abstract, we should probably talk about some specifics. Uh, yeah. And may, maybe think about an example of a scientific model um and, and this is this is the part creationist model building th- this is the part that might be a little difficult for everyone to follow but <laughs> i i, I want to emphasize again you, this podcast this this series that we're doing here uh, it's a journey we're on together hopefully <laughs> please watch more um and uh future episodes are going to elaborate on a lot of the abstractions that we're about to talk about so if this this is way over your head bear with us and please come back because we're going to try to make this we're going to try to make it clearer and more understandable in future episodes so how about you tell us about plate tectonics paul okay well plate tectonics i thought was a great example of a, a very successful scientific model in the conventional scientific community so plate tectonics was really developed in the sort of 1960s, early 70s. Um, there was a whole revolution that came about with um, discoveries on the ocean floor that kind of revolutionized our understanding of how the Earth works. And plate tectonics says that the crust of the Earth is uh, divided up into this series of interlocking tectonic plates that move relative to one another. Uh, the idea is that our present arrangement of oceans and continents is the result of the breakup of a single supercontinent that once existed in, in the past. That the continental plates have, have moved apart by a process called seafloor spreading. And we, we don't want to get into the weeds of plate tectonics, that's not really the topic today, but one of the things about plate tectonics that is so impressive is how it explains so much geological data. 
So if you look at the coastline, say, of West Africa, and you look at the coastline of eastern South America, they kind of they 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 lock together. You know, if you t if if you were to if you were to close up the the Atlantic Ocean, the South Atlantic, they would join together like a jigsaw puzzle. And plate tectonics can explain why that is, because they were once united in a single supercontinent, which has broken apart when the Atlantic Ocean opened up. Uh, we can look at the distribution of um, uh, fossils or of mountain uh, belts, and we see that they kind of match up on opposite sides of oceans. And we can look at the structure of the ocean floor, the fact that there's this great seam that runs down the middle of the Atlantic called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And there are a whole host of other things that plate tectonics helps to explain. So it's a really powerful theory, uh, a really powerful model. And it's no surprise, therefore, that today virtually all geologists accept plate tectonics. I mean, it has, you know, it is the reigning paradigm for understanding how, how, how our Earth works in, in the science of geology. So there's a good example of a, of a scientific model. Why would creationists be interested uh, in thinking about plate tectonics? Why would we be interested in doing some model building of our own in this area? Well, think about the problem here. We can actually measure rather accurately today the rate at which those plates are moving apart from one another. And they're moving apart really slowly today at the rate that your fingernails grow. You know, and North America is moving away from Europe. So it's, that's, that's it's really slow. slow. Yeah. It's very slow. So if we extrapolate that back in time, it would have taken millions of years for the Atlantic Ocean to open up. And of course, that's problematic if you're a young Earth creationist and you think that the world is about 6,000 years old and the flood was maybe, you know, 4,500 years ago or some, something like that. So creationists have actually um, developed their own version of plate tectonics called catastrophic plate tectonics, in which... Uh, the Earth's tectonic plates separated rapidly during Noah's flood. And uh, again, you know, not, not wanting to get into all of the details, um, insights from a number of different disciplines, studying the physics of the interior of the Earth and studies of the Earth's magnetic field and all kinds of other bits of data have come together so that we've been able to propose this kind of modified version of plate tectonics that is consistent with uh, a, a creationist reconstruction of Earth history. And one of the really exciting things, I think, about um, this particular creationist model is that it explains all of the same data that the conventional theory of plate tectonics explains. So the jigsaw fit of the continents and the distribution of the mountain belts and... All of those things are explained by this version of plate tectonics. But it also explains some other things that the conventional model of plate tectonics didn't explain well. So I think we can make a case that this is a more powerful model. This, is, this, this explains more data. And of course, as scientists, that's what we want to do. 
we want to try and explain as much of the data as possible within our our explanatory framework with it within our model and uh, catastrophic plate tectonics seem, seems to be uh, a very successful example of creationist model building there, there are many others that we could we could look at but uh, this is really exciting you know to me as a scientist to be able to say look here's here's a model that actually explains more um, that's the hallmark of a good scientific model in my book okay so plate tectonic sounds outlandish to me it doesn't but let's just say it does it sounds outlandish i mean the continents moving and rolling around why can't we just say that god made it this way and that plate tectonics people are just wrong flat out wrong and here's why you're wrong bunch of bunch of reasons why go to the trouble of adopting this weird thing and remodeling it for flood geology or something what's what's the point of that well i mean that's a, that's a very good question it kind of raises this whole question of you know why should we be doing creation model building at all why do, why don't we, we we've already said that it's a huge amount of hard work it involves lots of uh, money and resources to do this kind of model building so why don't we just focus our efforts on the weaknesses of the conventional views even you know why don't we just attack evolution or attack you know old earth ideas why go to the bother of trying to come up with um, models of our own i think there are a number of ways that we can kind of approach that question i mean one one response and may, maybe you have others but one, one response might be that people will tend to cling on to um the model that they have yeah that's it uh even if it's flawed yep. you know even if it doesn't answer all of all of the questions it doesn't yep. explain all of the data until a better model comes along yep um you will just hang on to the model you know so if you go to somebody and you point out all the problems in their in their scientific model and you say look i can poke all these holes in your model they're going to say okay but what's the alternative what's yeah, yeah. the yeah, how do you explain it? What's the model that you can come up with that does a better job? And, uh, you know, until you can come up with something that does a better job, I'm going to stick with this model and work away at this one. That's right. And I think, um, you know, we, we have a huge opportunity here as creationists to say our model can explain the data better. Right. It, it's like, uh, you know, an analogy I kind of like to use is, you know, you're asking someone to move out of a leaky house that's about to fall down into no house at all well yeah. okay well given the choices i'm going to stick with the leaky house that's about to fall down and try to shore it up and, and keep it keep it going because i don't want to live in no house at all that doesn't make any sense so yeah, yeah. i think i think you're on the right i i think you got it exactly right there um and the other reason that i would that I, the other response i would give to that is that you know the plate tectonics model is is powerful. It really is. Uh, it explains an enormous amount of data, and it's very compelling. And so, I can totally understand why a geologist would say, "Yeah, this is probably the history of the continental motion on on the planet." Um, and so, yeah. for me, I'm looking at this, going, "All right, well, then, how does that fit into what I think is the history of 
creation. And the thing about plate tectonic, catastrophic plate tectonics that I like, it, it takes away the argument that there's no evidence for the flood, mm. right? Because you're looking at it wrong. All of the evidence is the evidence for the flood. It's all evidence of yeah. the flood everywhere. Oh, right. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly things become much more powerful and intelligible, I think. Whereas before, yeah. if you're just saying there's some sort of layer where there's a, a global flood, that's that's not present. But in catastrophic plate tectonics, suddenly, yeah, it makes sense. So it, to me, yeah. it's it's I don't want to throw the baby out with bathwater. Uh there's there's probably something to this. It can't be so compelling and be utterly fallacious. There must be something to it that makes that somehow resembles the truth. And what's really interesting is is that this actually helps to respond to another criticism that people often make of young earth creationism, which is that uh, that well they they say to young earth creationists, look. In order to be a young Earth creationist, you've you've just got to throw out modern science. You know, ninety nine percent of the modern discoveries in biology and geology and astronomy they they just go out the window. And yeah. uh, when you look at a model like catastrophic plate tectonics, you realise that's not true. Right. In fact, we've adopted ninety nine percent of conventional. Um, geological wisdom the accumulated wisdom that has come up with plate tectonics and what we've done is we've modified it in an interesting way we've said what happens if the rate at which plates are diving into the earth's interior is faster than today what happens how does that unfold and what we find is that by making that modification we come up with a model that explains more of the data so we haven't thrown out, you know, vast swathes of geological um, knowledge here. We've adopted it and modified it in interesting ways. Yeah. And so often you find that this is what, what creationists are doing. Um, and, and in effect, that's, that's what we see happening even in conventional scientific model building. You know, Einstein comes along and... Newton doesn't get thrown out wholesale. Newton is perfectly good for most things that we're dealing with here on yep. the Earth. It just doesn't work on cosmic scales. Right. And Einstein came up with a kind of modified Newtonianism. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in effect, that's what it is. It builds on what Newton did. It, and know, he, it doesn't, and doesn't he, completely yeah, throw it, it out and start from scratch. Right, and he, he, he explains everything Newton does and then some. So it's not yeah. that Newton is wrong. And that's and that's another yeah. weird feature of models because it's not that the model is necessarily right or wrong. It's usually better or worse, right? There are yeah. there are better models or good models, and there are not so good models or worse models. But to my mind, all models are wrong because yeah. we just don't know enough, <laughs> right? We just don't know how they're wrong yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's another funny, you know, we, we've rejected all of science, and I just think, I don't know what you mean by that. No. Because I'm doing science. I'm out here, you know, sequencing DNA, or I'm out, you know, mapping rock layers or whatever. I'm not doing theology. I don't know what mm -hmm. else it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So we've got these creationist models. We've got things like 
uh, plate tectonics and we've got baromenology and we've got creationist models of the ice age and all, all kinds of other things uh, so that means basically that we've we've got it all sewn up right so we, we we've kind of worked it all out and we've we've kind of got all the answers yeah, and yeah i can retire now thank you very much yeah and, and and the other side are completely you know they've got it all wrong yeah no is is that how it is no, uh, to me, that the model building approach is really, if you want an approach that is intrinsically humble and really reflective of, of the way that Jesus taught us to live, then the model building approach is one way of doing that because we're always finding out things that were wrong and we're always learning new things. I think about, especially one of my research interest is, is fossil hominins and studying fossil humans and fossil apes. There's always new stuff being discovered and new papers being published and new, you know, research being done. And you're always having new things to think about and, and new possibilities being presented. And so it basically, it forces me to be, be careful <laughs> about how I mm. present how I present my my research, how I talk about these things, because I could be wrong two, three years from now, or maybe tomorrow. Maybe there's a paper coming tomorrow that's going to show I was wrong about something. And that's great, and that's cool, because I don't think that's, I don't think it's a danger to us or a flaw. I think it's, it is inherent in the human condition. We, we, we don't know everything. We learn things and we modify our understanding of things. And hopefully in that process, we are approaching closer to to the creator of all, right? The one who has set it all up. And, and, and by learning about his works, we learn about him. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the constant dynamics of, of model building just sort of necessitates you've got to be humble because you're probably wrong. <laughs> mm. And it's important to recognize that although we have a commitment to the Bible, um, the Bible gives us an enormous amount of freedom to develop scientific models yeah. and to test them by the data. Because the Bible kind of gives us, you know, this broad outline right. of, uh, you know, earth history. But it doesn't tell us the details. No, so, the details you know, are we, all missing. <laughs> Yeah, and and the, and the details are, you know, what are interesting to us often as scientists. So, for example, take fossils. You know, we may well, by reading the scripture, come to the conclusion that fossils must post-date the fall of Adam because there wasn't any death sure. uh, until Adam sinned. Sure. And fossils are dead things, right? right. So there's, <laughs> yes. a biblical, there's a biblical constraint for us. Yeah. But that's it, you know... I, after that, um, when did the fossils form? Were they formed before the flood? Were they formed during the flood? Were they formed after, after the flood or a combination of all three? Um, the Bible doesn't tell us that. No. So then we have to go to the data and we have to start kind of digging into the evidence and working out those things, you know, within the constraints that the Bible gives us. But they're very broad constraints. And... You could imagine that several different competing scientific models, many competing scientific models, would all be compatible 
with the biblical data. Uh, and right. and then we have to do the hard work in, in terms of Sorting what through. does the evidence support? What does yeah. the scientific evidence tell us? And I think the, 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 the ambiguity, I guess, of Scripture, I think that's important because no one in this process then has sort of the moral high ground. I think, I think unfortunately, a lot of us get way too attached <laughs> to our mm. models and we start thinking this is God's truth. Yeah. Maybe even that God revealed to me or something like that. And therefore, if you question this, you are you're suspect as a Christian or maybe not, you know, not a good creationist or something like that. Mm. That kind of stuff needs to just go because the Bible allows for all sorts of things. And, and people pose all sorts of weird questions to me that I think, where do you get that? Um, and it's mostly just revealing my own biases, my own unexamined assumptions about what the Bible is doing, what the Bible is telling me. And, and it's good for me to hear those kinds of things because it keeps me keeps me humble and keeps me thinking, mm. yeah, maybe I didn't get that right. So. <laughs> Yeah. Now you and I have you and I have both been involved in this kind of creation model building work in various ways, right? And you know we we understand I think how um, powerful model building can be and how exciting it can be. But there may be people out there listening to this who think, you know, wow, that does sound exciting. But how do I get involved in this? What what can I do? Uh, they may be perhaps uh, a student. Or perhaps a Christian young person thinking, what what do I, what should I choose to study? Or even a regular church member who just thinks, you know, how can I support what these guys are doing? Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone thinking yeah, that way? Lots of different things that can be done. Number one, we need prayer. Um, mm. We are to say we're a minority is sort of an understatement. <laughs> There, there are, there are maybe dozens of us. There are thousands of sort of conventional science scientists working on evolutionary problems and archaeology and geology and so forth. And there are maybe a dozen, maybe dozens of of people working on creationist ideas. So we need a lot of prayer. Um, you can. Uh, choose to fund some of the work as well um, even small donations so our ministries are basically run by small donations from lots of people and so um, that would be a way to do that we also the core academy has the sanders scholarship fund where we fund research projects conducted by young people who work with established creationist mentors who help them to learn the craft of doing good creation research that might be another outlet you might want to look into as an investment in in the kingdom um but you but yeah if you're a young person you should contact us or look into the show notes here because we've got there are plenty of opportunities where you can uh, get involved uh, get an education become a scientist uh, and start contributing uh, to this great work and if you're there, there well are beyond edu- where we need there are disciplines where we need help, aren't oh, there, Todd? I mean, d- every discipline are, we need help. <laughs> yeah, but th- there are some in particular where we don't really have we any have creationists. Yeah, yeah, and and so there's a huge opportunity for young people if they're gifted um, 
in science and they want to get involved, I mean, the field is wide open, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And then if you're beyond your education years, like me, and not interested in any more formal education, there are there are things that you can do to involve yourself in uh, research uh, as sort of a family vacation. Um, uh, and we'll have some examples of that in the show notes as well, uh, where you can connect with people who are doing dinosaur digs, who are doing archaeological excavations, um, and other sorts of research projects like that, where mm-hmm. you can just go and participate as you are able and help help the scientists uh, in their work so uh, another thing that we have is our annual origins conference yes. where the creation biology society the creation geology society and as of this year the creation theology society get together and report on the work that individuals are doing in in this kind of area and that would be a great place for students to come, wouldn't it? And to, and to meet with key researchers and to hear what's going on at the cutting edge. Yeah, and it might be a bit overwhelming for sort of lay people to come and hear because it's usually quite technical. Even for me, sometimes I zone out during the geology talks, but um, <laughs> true confession. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's an astoundingly wonderful place to sort of sit down and talk with people and just ask the hardest questions you can think of and, mm-hmm. and find out that we don't know the answers either. <laughs> mm. and, that, and that we need to look into these kinds of things and, and conduct these sorts of research projects in order to learn more about God's creation. And what about people who are perhaps in different disciplines? I mean, is, is there a need for people who are Bible scholars, linguists, oh. historians, archaeologists? Yeah, all of these, all of these disciplines yeah. we could use help in. Um, unfortunately, with so few of us, we end up wandering off into disciplines with which we are not familiar and oftentimes not doing a very good job of it because we're just not we're just not that well versed in that area so yeah if you have those kinds of skills and you think how could i contribute you should contact us <laughs> send us emails send us um or maybe come to the origins conference and and um we can help plug you into the kinds of questions that mm-hmm. that are sort of pressing at the present and maybe you can uh help contribute in that way and I think another thing that everybody could do, um, whether they're a scientist or not, is to just help to promote the work that Christians who are involved in this kind of work are doing. And one of the ways that you could do that is um, my book, The New Creationism, Building Scientific Models on a Biblical Foundation. Um, I wrote that uh, really as a kind of introduction for lay people to the kind of creation model building work that's going on. So it's a good introduction to model building and uh, it's the kind of book that you can pass on to others and maybe give to your pastor. Um, Todd has written an excellent book called The Quest, Exploring Creation's Hardest Problems. And uh, that's that's great, particularly for students. I think they would find that very uh, helpful. And um, a film, a movie like Is Genesis History that kind of showcases the work of creationists in in these various disciplines. Um, You know, why not consider 
getting hold of that movie, showing it at your church or um, getting it on DVD and sharing it with your friends or as a download. There are all kinds of ways, aren't there, that yeah. people can help to just spread the word yes. and, uh, uh, so that people be, hear more about this kind of work. Yeah. Because I wrote The New Creationism because I just felt this this kind of model-building approach just wasn't... Um, wasn't being heard enough by by the average person we're there in the origins conference every year talking about these these kinds of questions but we need to be able to share it to you know everyday folk that's right yes absolutely well that was a good episode yeah. so do we know what's coming up in the next episode i don't think we've planned the next episode yet no We'll have to see how so, that goes. So do you want to do a kind of generic closeout? Yeah, let's just do a generic closeout. Um, thanks for watching, everyone. Visit us on our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our ministries, Biblical Creation Trust and Core Academy of Science. That's biblicalcreationtrust.org and coresci.org. And uh, if you want to interact with us, uh, the easiest and simplest way might be to just go on to Facebook and send us some messages uh, through other ministries or through the uh, Let's Talk Creation uh, page. And thanks for watching. Spread the word. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Talk Creation. If you have questions, send them to podcast at corsi.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-O-R-E sci.org and be sure to let your friends know about let's talk creation and check us out on social media thank you